This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When they're gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. As we've prepared uh, to share today, we've reflected on the challenges of our life stage and the difference faith in Jesus makes. Whilst what we may share may particularly resonate with those in a similar stage of life, it's our hope and prayer that through the areas we have chose to focus on, God will encourage and equip you whatever your current experience and phase of life. We'll be reflecting on the lives of Joseph and Mary alongside sharing some of our challenge and experience. And in choosing to explore Joseph and Mary's life, we want to look beyond the familiar narrative of Jesus' birth and consider their family life and priorities. And I'll be honest, We've really struggled uh, with the brief for this talk. We were asked to share personally from our life stage and to connect that to a character from the Bible uh, and draw lessons from that. But as we look through the Bible, we struggled to find many people who had lots of small children who, who you saw that stage of life. You see lots of people who've had small children, but you meet them at a much later stage of life. And really, as we started to think about Joseph and Mary, we felt that that was the right couple to look at, but I really struggled with that because I don't want to be called Mr. Christmas. Um, but we have chosen to, to look at Joseph and Mary, and I think we've certainly found that very helpful, and we hope you do too. So what, what stage of life are we at? For those of you that don't know us, um, we're both just in our early 40s at the moment. Um, Sarah, literally only just. Um, but... Um, 
We've got four small children who many of you who come here regularly will have seen them running around in chaos or tried to stop them running into the car park at some point. Um, So we have uh, Abby, who's six, and then Matthew, Samuel, and uh, Hannah, who are all four years old and about to go to school. Um, But uh, and so, yeah, life is fairly crazy. Uh, I work as a GP uh, and um, do that three days of the week, and the rest of the time uh, I'm at home. Obviously, I'm at a similar life stage, because we're married. Um, And I'm a solicitor, so I also work three days a week, the same three days, so that we can both parent as well at the same time. So, what do we know? So that's us, we meant to have that up already. Uh, That's a photo, the photo of the triplets is a photo when they were very, very small and slightly crazy. Um, Not got much better. So... What do we know about Joseph and Mary? Starting with Mary, we obviously know that she had a unique and significant part to play in God's plan. She was the first and best witness of the incarnation. But there's no indication in the Bible that she was perfect, that she was this archetypical perfect Christian and mother. We know that she was young, probably around 14 years of age, when she was betrothed to Joseph. Um, And we know as well through the Gospel narratives um, that she accompanied Jesus at various points in his ministry as as he got older. And we know she was present at the crucifixion, and we also know that she was present afterwards with the disciples at Pentecost. So what do we know about Joseph? Well, we know Joseph is descended from Abraham and David, and he's the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Joseph acts as a father to Jesus. He is described as Jesus' father by others and also by Mary. She refers to to them both as his parents. We also know that Joseph's trade was that of a carpenter. As Joseph isn't mentioned by the time of Jesus' ministry, it is likely that he's died by this point, but there's no comment on it. So when I sat next to Sarah for um, her ultrasound scan for our second pregnancy, I didn't realise how much was about to change. When the person doing the scan told us initially that we were having twins, and congratulated us, and then shortly afterwards apologised and informed us that it was triplets, um, I knew whatever happened from that point forward, the best or worst of outcomes, that life was going to change. And in a very different way, Joseph is presented with a situation over which he had no control and which he had not sought when Mary was found to be pregnant. There are seasons or phases of life which we have an active role in ushering in. For example, choosing to marry, a change of work circumstances, moving home, leaving home. But there are other seasons which come uninvited, for example, through the actions of others, through illness or bereavement. And Joseph found himself in a situation he would not have chosen, father to a child he did not father, betrothed to a woman already pregnant. And as God reveals himself in this new season, Joseph chooses to obey and trust. From the moment we knew we were expecting triplets, we were thrust into an unexpected, more complex and uncertain season in our lives. And for me, adapting to and accepting this season has been really challenging. In my 20s, Uh, and those of you who've known me a long time will know this, I had often said I did not want to marry or have children. (laughs) And yet here I am. To come to a place of accepting the season or face of life that you're in is to express trust in God, that whatever is happening, God knows about and God is with us. It doesn't mean that we don't ask why, that we don't wrestle with God or with the challenges of our situation, 
but we can do so ultimately from a place of trust that God is good. And for me, this means an active decision to not cling to where I was previously or wish away the time now. It's tempting to wish that the kids were older and would listen more easily. But as I continue to discover, to embrace the chaos of this stage of life is to experience the joy of it too. Prior to having the triplets, I traveled frequently working with medical students and doctors across Europe and Eurasia. Letting go of serving God in the way I had previously had the freedom to do so has really involved working through a real sense of loss to get to a place of greater acceptance. And I still struggle with it at times. And as we faced the prospect of four small children at home, I feared we would never get out of the house, and that we'd be socially cut off, and that we would struggle to cope. The reality was that the limitation of our circumstance opened up new opportunities. From neighbors visiting at home to help with our chaos in the first year of the triplet's life, to sharing the joys and struggles of our journey with both Christian and not yet Christian friends and family members. As we're mindful of Jesus' words in Matthew 28, verse 20, where he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age, we learn to look for God at work in each season of life. Now, while the question popularized by those wonderful wristbands, WWJD, what would Jesus do, can help us to consider how we might act or behave, I find the alternative question, WIGD, what is God doing, much more helpful and much more revealing because it starts with an assumption that God is present, that he's involved, that he's doing something. So what is he doing? Asking what God is doing in our phases and seasons of life causes us to look to God, to seek his revelation and his ways. Faced with the dramatic change in his fiance's circumstances, Joseph's initial plan is to divorce Mary quietly, a course of action which came from his desire to be faithful to God's law and to do the right thing. So it's not, it's not from the wrong motivation, but it's only when in a dream that an angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph and reveals what's going on that Joseph changes his intended course of action. For Joseph, it's the revelation of God in this new season of Joseph's life which gave the courage and confidence to move forward. Adapting to the season of life we're in is not just to see the opportunities we have, but also to create them. For example, I'm conscious that outside of work, the opportunities to build new friendships are limited as we go through our 30s and 40s. The school drop-off and connecting with neighbours through being involved with building community on our road through initiatives like the Big Lunch have given opportunities for new connections and friendships. Hosting a community group ensures we're involved as a family in helping to develop and build relationships. As we consider Joseph and Mary, we see that they knew the law. They were committed to the community of faith. Across the biblical accounts, God also reveals his purposes for them in a number of different ways. For example, through angels, through dreams, through family members, through wise men, through prophets. Key to making our walk with God one where we are growing and thriving is understanding the nature of the present season of our lives knowing ourselves and practicing the spiritual disciplines, particularly of prayer, Bible reading, and fellowship. Looking back, although I didn't realize it then, 
As a student at university, I had, the time I had available for reading was much greater than in our present season of life. What worked for me then in growing my work with God, I find very difficult to do now. In the day-to-day -day melee of our current lives, we have been helped by the example of Brother Lawrence, who is the author of a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence, uh, while, who, while cleaning pots and pans in the monastery kitchen in the 1600s, cultivated an awareness of God's presence by continually conversing with him and focusing on God's love for him. I used to think of myself as a real person of faith, strong faith, but I find myself to be quite fearful. Um, something which I'm becoming more aware of as I get older, as I've gone through my 30s and now into my 40s, I'm more aware of the complexities and the risks and the, the, the frailty of life. We often at this life stage take on greater responsibilities, partner, children, homes, mortgages, jobs with greater responsibility. And for me, that leads to a bit more worry. What if something happens to me? What if something happens to James, the children, our family, our finances, our jobs? Mary and Joseph were not immune to worry. Quite comforting, really. We know from the story of them losing Jesus at the temple that they were anxiously looking for him. Even the Blessed Mary was given to scolding her child for running off without telling his mother where he was going. And the more chaotic life feels, the more it feels outside of my control, the more I incline towards the what-ifs and imagine the worst. It was never more obvious to us than when we were expecting the triplets with all the additional risks that that involved in a multiple pregnancy. But of course, in that situation and in my periods of worry, my perspective is all wrong. Mary's reaction to news of her baby was one of real trust. She must have been scared. She was young. What was being asked of her was a huge deal. And it's no coincidence that some of the angel's first words to Mary and to Joseph were, do not be afraid. But in preparing for today, I've been struck again by her response. It was to fix her eyes on God, to glorify him, to consider all the works that he had done, and to lift her eyes to the mighty one. She took what she knew about God and applied it to her situation. It was a reaction based on what she knew, not on what she felt, which must have been pretty overwhelmed. And at the time, at the back of her mind would have been all those prophecies in scripture about the Messiah, the significance of the gift of myrrh, an embalming solution from the Magi, and the words of Simeon when they presented Jesus at the temple that a sword would pierce her own heart. Yet she and Joseph weren't overcome by fear. They marveled instead at what was said about Jesus. And I've always loved the phrase that Mary treasured up and pondered all these things in her heart. In taking Mary's example in this stage of my life, I'm shifting my perspective from my day-to-day -day worries back to God, confessing my fears, big and small, to him and in my accountable relationships with others. I need to replace those fears and worries with God's truth about who he is. Neither Mary nor Joseph nor us are promised an easy ride that everything will be okay, but we are promised Emmanuel, God with us all, all that happens. As I've reflected on today, I've concluded that real trust is trust in a real God. It's not about the strength of our feeling or the passion with which we feel it. It's the object of our trust that gives us strength. Trusting God is not about believing that God will somehow come in and rescue us from our circumstances, but that God is with you in those circumstances, whatever the outcome. And that is why Mary was able to say, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my saviour. What I've been learning in this stage of life is that trust is a decision, not a feeling, and it's a discipline to be practised over and over and over and over again. 
Quite often when we meet people for the first time and we explain our circumstances of our stage of life, people ask us, how do you cope? Sometimes we say fine. Sometimes if we're feeling very honest, we say badly, because that's mostly the truth. Um, most often, life is a bit like, oh, I've gone too far, haven't I? It's a bit like this. You've probably been looking at that for a while now. <laughs> Thinking about this stage in life, several challenges come to mind, but one of the most important ones for us is how we manage competing priorities in a godly way. Some people call it work-life balance, although I find the phrase rather annoying because it suggests there's this perfect equilibrium you can reach, and if you could just get it right, uh, everything would be great. And it also suggests that we can compartmentalise our lives into these different boxes that can be balanced against each other, which just isn't true. Most people's lives are much more complex than that, and they bash against each other, those areas, and, and compete against each other in ways that we find exhausting. Managing these competing interests is one of the things we struggle to cope with at this stage of life. Particularly when there's a lot of merit in the things that we're being asked to do. We're trying to juggle lots of things at any one time. And of course, God is interested in and can and should be part of, those li part of our lives, integral to all that we do. Whether it's job, family, church. There's inevitable tension between the roles I'm called to play. Parent, spouse, professional, daughter, friend, community group leader, and of course, child of God. Most of the time, I feel like I fail to a large extent at all of them. I'm sure there's an element of needing to be gracious to myself and ourselves in living in this stage of life with all the business there is. But that's something that I've really had to wrestle with and accept about this stage of life, that I can't have it all, particularly as a woman, to be honest. I do love this Rob Parsons quote. The idea you can have it all and do it all is an illusion. Super mum or super dad is not out there. You can wear your underpants outside your trousers, but you still can't fly. Although I've not actually tried it, I have to say. Ultimately, we have to choose where we put our time and energy. To hear God's voice above the clamour of the, all other things and to make choices in line with God's will in our lives. There's a lot of tempting stuff out there that we could throw ourselves into. But for us, we have to ask, is it the right thing to do? And that may well mean laying things down and saying no. And those of us that know us well will know that we're not very good at that which is an understatement. And it may also mean, having laid some things down, that we might need to take up new opportunities that come our way. At this stage of life, we're faced with a lot of choices about what we do with our time. We don't know much about Mary and Joseph's early family life, really. We know that they had other children, they were forced to move around a lot, and of course, Joseph had a normal job as a carpenter. But we can see that Mary and Joseph still made choices about the way they lived their life. God didn't just impose his will on their lives. They had the chance to listen to him and obey and accept. They continued to make choices to live according to Jewish law and practice, to follow Jesus, particularly his mother in later years. And the key to making those choices was in hearing from God. Most of us aren't going to get the sort of messages they got from angels and dreams. Life can seem so frenetic that I often struggle to make even the smallest amount of time available for hearing from God. And we may not feel that we have much choice in some areas of our lives. But whatever our circumstances and however little time we have, we do still have the choice to carve out that time for hearing from God. We may have to get a little creative or change our pattern of doing things. As James said earlier, we don't have time to do an awful lot of reading spiritually, but James will sometimes take a day or half a day out to go on retreat. That works for him. I'm more likely to grab 10 minutes on the train, on my phone, reading the Bible or something spiritual on my way to work. And if I'm really desperate, I'll lock myself in the loo for five minutes. But spending the time listening for and hopefully hearing from God in the midst of all the clamour um, should be a priority. It's only then that we'll be able to test and decide what God's priorities for our, us are.
And whatever we end up doing, however we end up spending our time, we've always found this verse really encouraging. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Another particular challenge of our current life stage is that of parenting. Life in our home, and for those of you who've spent any time with us will know, it's often noisy, chaotic, constant demands for attention from our children. Having four children close in age with three at the same age, while it has its joys, also has its frictions, with fights and poor behaviour resulting from all wanting to play with the same toy. Bedtime is often particularly difficult as we attempt to persuade our children to stay in bed and go to sleep. Um, Mealtimes can also be a challenge. For me, I have found the recent phase in our children's lives more demanding and stretching than the first years, which were more about providing physical care than the current refereeing and boundary setting. As we consider Mary and Joseph and their parenting, there are only a few glimpses of life in their household from the gospel narratives. We know that Jesus was not an only child. We also know that in the early years of Jesus' life, they moved around to escape the dangers in Judea. They would therefore have faced the challenge of bringing up Jesus in a foreign culture, away from wider family support. Perhaps the best indication of their family life is found in Luke's account of Jesus at the temple at the age of 12, as recorded in Luke 2, 41 to 50, which is on the screen. There are three aspects of Luke's account that I want to draw out. Firstly, they were a family who observed the Jewish law and traditions. Jesus was brought up being exposed to the values and ways of his family's faith. Just as with Joseph and Mary, an important aspect of our parenting is bringing up our children in a way which exposes them to the values and practices of our faith. As someone who did not grow up in a Christian family, an important aspect of being a parent is the way I care for my kids and live life in front of my family, thereby introducing my children to the reality of Jesus so that they are able to make their own choice to follow him. Secondly, in verse 44, we are told that they traveled home from Jerusalem for a day before realizing Jesus was not with them. Having realized that he was missing, they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, while we might infer that this shows Joseph and Mary to be careless parents, I would suggest that this indicates that it was not abnormal for others, particularly their friends and relatives, to be involved in caring for Jesus. For this is where they looked for Jesus first. While this reflects in part the culture they were in, Perhaps it is our culture, with its focus on the nuclear family, which is unusual. I would suggest that bringing up children, that parenting is not just the domain of parents. Certainly for us, we have been greatly helped in the six years we have been parents by the parenting of our children and of ourselves that we have experienced through many of our church family at Riverside. And I just want to say, actually, there are many of you in this room who have been involved in doing that for us and just how important and how precious that is to us. It's partly what helps us to survive and cope. 
As the African proverb says, it takes a village to bring up a child. I recall as a single man in my 20s being, being welcomed into a number of families' lives and homes in church. Seeing family life at work, being invited, for example, to be present at bedtime as the Bible was read and prayers were said, has provided a model which we have replicated in our family life. As a result, I'm passionate that we do family life in a way which is inclusive to others. There are times we and our children need space and privacy, but we want and we choose to be generous in hospitality as a family, willing to welcome others into the chaos and mess of our lives. And thirdly, in verse 48, when they find Jesus, his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. That Joseph and Mary were anxiously searching for Jesus demonstrates the normality of their parenting. For any of us who have, however briefly, lost a child, we know that awful anxiety, we've done it, Lou Beach, not a good experience at all, uh, but we know that awful anxiety and longing to locate our child swiftly and safely, as well as the relief and telling off that child receives when they're found. I find the normality of Joseph and Mary's parenting reassuring. As parents, we are human. We do get anxious. We are fallible. We seem in society to have an ideal of family life and of parenting as promoted by parts of the media which can feel overwhelming and unachievable. Not all are super dads or yummy mummies who can recite the finer advice of Mumsnet. We've found that being honest about the struggles of parenting keeps the anxieties, the frustrations, and the fallibility in a place where we can be accountable and seek prayer and support. And I would just say that our life group has been a particularly important arena for doing that. So as we come to a finish, and as we've reflected on the life of Mary and Joseph, um, what are we continually learning? And it is a continuous journey. We haven't got it sorted in any way from God at this stage in our lives. Well, first, that we need to accept the season into which he's called us and seek the opportunities that it presents rather than resent its challenges. That trusting him with all that he has entrusted us with is a discipline that we must repeatedly put into practice. That we can only get our priorities right when we prioritise hearing from him and that we can best parent our children when we live according to his pattern in community. Psalm 62 verse 8 says this. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that whatever stage or phase of life, whatever season we find ourselves in, whether we are willingly in that season or unwillingly there, we ask that you would help us to lift our eyes to you and to put our hope, to put our confidence, to put our trust in you, knowing that you are truly God, and that in the chaos and the situation we face, that you are there with us. 
Help us to ask what you are doing more, to look for you, to look to see what you are doing in our lives. Help us to trust more. And as we think of the many children in our church, Lord, help us to see how, whether we have children that we are directly the parent of, whether we are involved in parenting those children in another of myriad ways, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to see how we can parent, how we can support and love our children well, how we can help introduce them to your ways, how we can help them to choose one day to follow you. Amen.